Welcome to another episode of Mama Earth Talk. I'm your host, Maris Canal. Realizing just how much waste we generate on a daily basis, I've set a personal goal not only to reduce, reuse, and recycle, but to also educate the world about sustainability and how each of us can help preserve our beautiful planet. Thanks for listening. Let's dig in. Hello, crazy birds. I hope you are all doing well wherever it is that you are currently in the world. Let's talk about the ocean. Hopefully you are somewhere close to the ocean where you can actually see the ocean, hear the ocean. If not, go on to Spotify at some point and listen to the ocean because At the moment, I sometimes wonder if we show as much appreciation to the ocean for what it's actually doing, because literally every second breath that we take is because of a healthy ocean. And one of the things that keep our ocean healthy is what they refer to as like the lungs of the ocean. And that is, of course, coral reefs. Coral reefs play such an important role in our ecosystem. I mean, there's so much that they do to like prevent erosion, to literally be like a nursery for all of these little animals to really survive, thrive, and to keep that ecosystem going. So today when I spoke to this amazing guest, it was really cool to like kind of, you know, just emphasize the importance of these coral reefs and getting some some advice on what we can do. So our guest is the founder and the CEO of the Ocean Rescue Alliance, which is a marine conservation and restoration not-for-profit organization. She's also the CEO of a Thousand Mermaids Artificial Reef Project as well as a PhD candidate from the University of Florida. So during this episode, we talked about really the importance of these coral reefs, but we also take like a deep dive into some options that we can actually help out right where we are, what we can do. And we also looked at some of the amazing projects that they are working on that really combines like artistic projects with these restoration projects and to really take art and obviously sustainability, which is one of my biggest passions, and just see some of these projects that they are working on around the world. Now, Crazy Birds, without any further ado, I would like to welcome Shelby Thomas. Thanks for having me. You are most welcome. You I've been doing such amazing work and I'm really excited to dig in or dive into all the stuff that you're doing. But like kind of let's go back to like the start. How did your sustainable journey actually start? That's a good question because my I've taken a lot of twists and turns. I've always grown up loving the ocean, loving being around the water, enjoying natural environments. And I'd say I was always a very eco-conscious individual. Even as a kid, you know, I didn't didn't like to see pollution. I would clean up after myself and try to clean up the beach and things like that. So that was always ingrained in me. But 
what got me into really doing what I'm doing now, I initially started out doing pharmaceutical research with corals and really utilizing their defense chemicals called secondary metabolites as potential cancer cures. And I got into really digging into all the possibilities and use cases of awesome marine organisms for health. And I kind of quickly realized being in Florida in just in my short lifetime, how reefs were dying so rapidly. And not only would we not be able to use these for, for future cures, they have all these immensely important functions. And I, at one point, saw a huge coral colony die that was hundreds of years old, about five feet across, big, as big as a dinner table, die in three days. And right off the coast of South Florida, off of a very populated area, and there's just millions of people that don't even realize that's there happening. And so really just turned to kind of wanting to be a voice for the voiceless and then also tie into like, how can you make an individual an impact and, and make a change? And so that's kind of what shifted me was seeing some of these like drastic changes in the environments that really is not something that you can fix quickly. You know, sometimes it, it takes a lot of time to do restoration and for all these problems even to happen sometimes. That's kind of crazy thinking that in the span of like three days, it's dying and how it's actually being caused and all the effects of that. And when it comes to like coral reefs and everything, I think a lot of people have not really seen what it looks like. And so unless you are like actual a diver going in and looking at this, you would not know what it looks like because the majority of people that actually go to the beach, because a lot of might not have ever seen the ocean yet. So, you know, for them, we kind of look at the ocean and we're like, okay, cool. You know, it's, it's very beautiful. It's got waves. It's got nice sunset. That's kind of where it stops for us. But then there's this whole other life out there that is just like phenomenal. So you have actually found it. It's called the Ocean Rescue Alliance. And I just wanted to dig a little bit into that as well. Like, what is that? So the Ocean Rescue Alliance, we are a marine conservation nonprofit. We primarily specialize on designing artificial infrastructure for strategic purpose to aid in both restoration, coastal protection, creating complex fish habitat, and also connecting communities together through art. What really got me into doing this work is just being a scientist and seeing the gaps within restoration. Essentially, for outplanting corals, it takes a lot of time, resources, and people and training. And we're at like really a hindrance of being able to industrially scale it. So, how can we really expedite the process, the most streamlined and efficient, to make sure it's successful, but also tailor it to a specific site? You see restoration being done as a kind of blanketed approach. No matter where you're at, you're doing kind of similar techniques. And in fact, every environment's different. And so really just seeing this through my scientific work and studies and research, I saw really the need to modify and, and adapt very site-specific changes. And so that's what really Ocean Rescue Alliance developed to be, was these kind of solutions that were adaptable and mutable to specific areas, not only for corals, but also for oysters and mangroves and designing complexity of artificial reefs as well. Oh, that sounds amazing. And I mean, it is definitely so complex. For us here in Australia, we obviously have the Great Barrier Reef. And actually, it's kind of sad. I've never visited the Great Barrier Reef, even though we lived in Queensland in COVID. 
And then we couldn't travel. So it was like all of the restrictions, you only allowed a certain time. And then we moved back to WA, but it's definitely high on my list. And I hope to, you know, be able to actually do a dive, like, you know, do my diving course and everything to to see that. But for Crazy Birds that has listened to uh, some of the previous episodes, we had Dr. Sylvia Earle on as well, kind of, you know, to just explain how the ocean has changed in like literally her lifespan, which which is phenomenal. And also how in her lifespan, there's actually been rehabilitation. There has been some species that was thought to be extinct that's actually coming back now. So things are changing definitely the whole time. But with you guys focusing a lot on the coral reefs, that brings me back like where we started off with this conversation where a lot of people might think, okay, cool ocean. Yes, coral reef looks nice. I might have seen it somewhere in a fish tank. I haven't seen it in the ocean, but I kind of have an idea. Can you explain to us like in a nutshell, what is the importance of these coral reefs? Yeah, coral reefs are immensely important. They're one of the most biodiverse ecosystems in the world. So even even furthermore than the rainforest. So there's just a diversity of species that also scientifically, we still don't understand all of the functions in its entirety of, of what values those bring. But they also serve as a, a storm buffer. They help protect our coastlines and they serve as a vital nursery for fisheries. And so a majority of the fish that we actually eat really spend some point of their life on a natural reef, um, but also other nurseries such as oysters or mangroves. So these ecosystems are incredibly important for the food that we eat. And if if we're impacting these ecosystems, we're going to be risking also losing a large uh, source of food and nutrition for the world, but also people affecting people's livelihoods. So they have both what we call ecosystem services, which are those kind of fundamental services that they provide to the environment, but they all have an economic value. So they're worth billions of dollars and also impact millions of people's livelihoods around the world. Just with the ocean, obviously every second breath that we basically take is because of a healthy ocean and the coral reefs being kind of, as you would say, like the lungs of the ocean. So it's not just the rainforest, guys. It's, It's literally the coral reefs as well. But at the moment, there is something really tragic happened. Like, I mean, you you mentioned it with these reefs just dying. So we've got a lot of ocean acidification that's happening and people would just see kind of these like, almost like skeleton, I would say, kind of coral reefs that's just like bleach white. So why does that happen? And how can we prevent that from happening? So first of all, the the bleaching is really a stress response. So just seeing, it, and that is the coral dying, but that doesn't really tell you the direct cause. So a lot of coral reefs will bleach due to a variety of different factors. And so different ecosystems, you know, for example, the Great Barrier Reef versus our Florida reef track, which is actually the third largest reef in the world. And a lot of people don't, don't realize our, our reefs extend from the Keys all the way up to West Palm Beach. But so we have different regionally specific stressors versus what you all have in Australia. And a lot of the really issues plaguing the coral reefs, just like you mentioned, ocean acidification is a big impact as well as pollution, warming temperatures, but there's also disease that comes into a factor. And so we really are having a problem with disease in Florida, more specifically that affect uh, stony corals that are those fundamental reef building corals. They're what make up that structure of what the reef is. Um, and so we have soft corals as well. And actually I have one on my, my screen here behind me, but you know, really the, the ones that really help with buffering the storms and 
in providing that complex habitat structure are those stony corals. So they're really vitally important. And the ones that you see bleaching are having you know, a variety of stressors that impact them that get that zooxanthellae to leave. And that's what gives them that white color. In terms of what we can do to help, it's really understanding what caused that bleaching. So, you know, a lot of, especially in Australia, it's the temperatures, pollution and ocean acidification that's really impacting these corals the most. Where here in Florida, we have more of a disease issue. So understanding those fundamental whys allow us the ability to adapt solutions. And so one of the things that's being done from a scientific approach is actually looking at genetics and stress inducing these corals and seeing which genotypes are actually more successful at combating, whether that's disease or have a higher thermal tolerance or stress ability, and then focusing our restoration efforts on those types of corals. As an individual, what we can do is really, again, you know, being an eco-conscious individual is incredibly important. And people seem to you know, think they, they don't have an impact on the ocean because it's such a vast area of water. But that, that narrative really needs to ring true in the fact that we only live on this earth because of our oceans. It controls all of our water, weather patterns. And every single thing that we do as a human directly impacts our oceans. So even the smallest change, if we had hundreds of thousands and millions of people making that small change, it would make an immense difference. So it's so important as an individual to really do as much as you can to help your immediate environment and becoming an eco-conscious individual. I would say in terms of also impact, you can also get in, involved with groups and help doing restoration or figuring out how to support locally. I love that. And yeah, that is so, so true. No matter how small we sometimes feel or, you know, that small change that we think we're making that doesn't have an impact, it definitely has. It's got like this little ripple effect and it affects you. It affects people around you. So please, crazy birds, just keep on doing them. It does make a difference. Shelby, like what I love about what you guys do is you basically take two of my passions, art. Obviously, I'm an artist, so always love, you know, creating artwork and trying to save the environment and doing something with that and being a voice through some of these artworks as well, you know, for a lot of people that might not see the effects directly or, you know, people that might get curious after seeing one of these art pieces and then that kind of starts their journey. It's such an important aspect. And one of the projects that you guys are involved with is the Thousand Mermaids Artificial Reef Project. And I would love for you to just like tell our crazy bits more about what exactly is all these mermaids. Yeah, absolutely. I'll first start on just kind of the context of art and why we use art in our projects. So as a scientist, I, I really fell in love with the ability to use art to connect people back personally to the ocean. And that's one of the biggest problems I see is this lack of personal connection. If you're looking at trying to inflict more of a societal change and framework, it has to be personal for people to care about it. And so sometimes not everybody can relate to natural resources and they also don't see them. So the really value that we bring in with using art is a way to really bring in different story narratives that can be relatable to different communities. So we really want to use art to be culturally and historically impactful to an immediate area to really increase that kind of connection back to the ocean, but also create a corporate responsibility. So now we can actually engage cities, counties, hotels, and coastal developers into de designing sites that can be tailored to their custom art direction that provides an ecotourism destination, but more importantly, actually funds restoration. So it's a way to bring everyone to the table, say, hey, 
you need to be part of this solution too, but at least this is a little more customizable to also give them some added benefit and value. And so that's why we really got into using art as that pathway. The Thousand of Mermaids project is really incredible. We, we use the story of the mermaid, which is half human. It kind of symbolizes the human connection to the ocean. And it's in a, a variety of different cultures. Everyone knows of these sirens, these mermaids, these mythical creatures in folklore and sailor stories that connect people. And it's, it really symbolizes like the mystery of the ocean, you know? And so we started with this, this uh, narrative to really help connect people. And the, the goal is to get to a thousand right now, we're at 35 in Florida, but we'd like to expand them um, all over the world. And we can actually 3D scan and create anyone into a mermaid that we think is an artificial reef. But we also can do other art as well. Oh, I love that. So if I wanted to be turned into a mermaid, it's actually possible now. Absolutely. You then have a lot of divers that would actually go to these sites and go and have a look at these different mermaids, because obviously it is then still like kind of a tourist attraction, but just like underwater. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that's kind of the, the goal is, you know, we can bring awareness and also create ecotourism opportunities where we can engage people in a, in a completely different way. And then these like kind of artificial reefs that you guys like put in it, like how does that work? We design sites that we're not strictly doing sculptures. What we do is create biofunctional art. So every art piece still has a habitat value or a restoration value. But in addition, we design artificial reefs to strategically mimic what natural reef structure is. So it has microhabitat and different sizes. So it's diverse. And we find that really important to help support fisheries and then those like fundamental ecosystem functions. On top of that, we do what I call combining gray and green infrastructure, where we'll take that artificial structure and combine outplanting biological species such as corals or oysters or mangroves to help create an actual ecosystem of these artificial reefs. So we'll design these sites, sprinkle in art throughout it, but mainly we focus on that ecosystem and habitat value. And we'll adapt that to that specific area's needs. Oh, awesome. And like the coral stuff that you put in, it's like, it's called like coral. coral. Yes, coral lock. So you kind of put the sculpture and then you put it afterwards in underneath or it's quite a process. You guys have on your website a few videos, which I'm going to try and link up for in our show notes as well. So our crazy birds can go and see how it's done because it's really quite an interesting thing to see you know it's hard to like explain to people always but yeah I just find it it was it was quite interesting for me to kind of look at so uh, what other type of projects are you involved in like kind of artistic projects within the ocean or on land to kind of raise more awareness for the marine environment make a really quick comment to the coral lock just for context so the coral lock is a threaded frag plug and that's one of the solutions that we designed to really increase coral outplanting efficiency so instead of individually gluing a coral down you can literally screw in a piece of coral like you would a bolt and a five-year-old could do it right so it really makes it accessible and easier to do and we can outplant hundreds at a time and so that's really the idea there we provide those plugs to restoration practitioners that actually grow coral on the plugs and then we take those and we can outplan at scale. But to your question in terms of other artistic projects, I'd say the one I'm most excited about right now is we're fundraising for a Mayan theme reef in Mexico. And it's our first culturally relevant reef site. So we're working with the Mayan community and doing a serpent deity called the Kluklan. And that's going to be really powerful because we're able to actually bring awareness to Mayan culture and serve that immediate community 
And we want people to be invested in protecting these resources for generations to come. So doing something that's really regionally specific to an area is super important because we want to engage the community as a whole. We want the community to be part of this journey and designing it and helping protect it for, for generations to come. And so that one specifically is extremely exciting because it really has an in-depth context to connecting to Mayan, Mayan art and Mayan community and history. We're hoping to expand other art initiatives as well. And in terms of on the land, we always try to, every project that we have, to have some type of permanent installation that can continuously bring awareness to the projects. Because we know not everyone can dive, not everyone can snorkel or get into the water. So we want to at least be able to bring public awareness uh, consistently. That is so important. And even these artworks out there can then really inspire people to go and, you know, try and find all of those other mermaids and actually go in the water if that is at all possible for them. So for me as well with the artwork, it's something that I feel people can definitely relate to on a lot of different, you know, subject matters or you might not always know what is all of these effects. And if you don't know, you can't really change something. But if you get to experience something or find a connection through this art piece, you know, it can really, really affect like the course of what you do next. What would your next step be? Would it be to do something that is protecting the environment or not protecting the environment? And come to think you now know better. So, you know, you standing in front of that choice. And I think that is the thing that, you know, a lot of the artwork actually sometimes do. It kind of just bring that awareness and makes you kind of, it sits there in the back of your head every single time you see something you're like, oh yeah, I remember I saw that art piece that was made from that or this, that kind of represented that. And yeah, so for me, that just like adds to this whole message and also to kind of the speed of how we can actually get more people engaged and also educated about some of these really important issues that we are facing. And where do you do like the majority of these work that you do? So right now it's all mostly in Florida, but we are aiming to expand all over the world. So any, any coastal communities. We also design uh, artificial reefs specifically for reducing wave energy to protect against coastal erosion. And that can be scalable. You know, for example, in the U.S., we're in Florida. That can scale all the way up to New York. One thing that's done quite frequently is uh, beach nourishment. That's done almost in every coastal community around the world where they'll dredge sand, to dump it on shore to maintain the beach. And really what that is is a Band-Aid. It's a quick fix to uh, coastal erosion. And every wave, every storm wipes that sand right back out. And it has a lot of adverse negative impacts on the environment. You know, in Florida, it's smothered coral reefs. It's suspended all this um, different types of microbiomes and bacteria in the water column, which we're just starting to see really negative links. And so that's just a kind of an example of something we're wanting to combat and scaling these reefs for different purposes all over the world for protecting coastal communities. I mean, in particular, yeah, we're working in Florida, but we really aspire to do more work in developing countries that really need these resources way more than we do, especially throughout the Caribbean. They're in some of the most highly impacted areas from climate change, and they'll continue to get very heavy storms. And so we really want to be able to serve as this other aid to create reef sites that can actually protect the communities, help restore ecosystems and do restoration, but also kind of providing that ecotourism economic pathway to have destinations that people can go to. So our goals are to expand really everywhere that we can 
I'd say our next projects on the horizon would be throughout the Caribbean. Would love to go to Australia as well. A lot of those those ecosystems need our help too. There's so many of these islands that is in question where if the oceans just rise like with one meter, a lot of those islands are kind of no longer. Especially here, we've got the Pacific Islands. Some of them will no longer be there and like the, the next generation's no longer going to see it, which is really sad. And I feel, you know, if we can do something now, we need to kind of, you know, work together and just try our best to actually help that. Because again, this is going to have a knock-on effect on so much. You know, you're going to have people who's going to lose their houses. They are going to also lose like their heritage, you know, like two, three generations on. So it's got, it's so much. And then obviously the environment around it will be totally different. So we need to do something. That is like kind of what I want to ask you. Like how can our crazy birds get involved? What can we do now to like support you guys and help with our oceans to stay in tip-top shape in our coral reefs? First of all, I, I always you know think there's a lot of people that want to help and don't always have the ability or pathway to do it, whether that's with coral restoration or you know, a variety of different projects. So one thing we try to do is make very accessible opportunities to make a direct impact. So we have programs such as Adopt a Coral, where you can sponsor a coral outplant for $20. And that ranges all the way up to where you can create your own artificial reef, not only artistically, but you can sponsor a habitat module. So depending on kind of the range of if anyone's interested in giving or supporting to make that direct impact, we have lots of abilities to do so, um, even to the point where we create plaques and people can celebrate a loved one or an anniversary with that plaque that we actually outplant coral around. So there's ways to make direct impact and doing restoration on the ocean through us, but, you know, also becoming an eco-conscious individual, again, doing as much as you can locally, whether that's cleanups or, you know, helping with different other nonprofits and environmental groups, it's very important. So we have lots of options of ways that people can make a direct impact and they can find that on our website, oceanrescualliance.org. Also just from volunteering, right? Being an, an advocate, speak up, vote locally for, you know, different environmental policies that you know, might need to be enacted or protected. So every individual has a voice and should use it to really help garnish and protect these resources. I love that. And we will definitely link up all of those resources that you've mentioned in the show notes. So our crazy birds can go and uh, check it out there. That is just like so phenomenal, like all the work that you are doing. And I mean, it is just so, so crucial, like so important that it gets done. So you know, thank you for everything that you guys are doing. Like it, it really makes a difference. Thanks. Yeah, we, we really love um, working with, you know, diverse groups. And I'm a big advocate. You know, I think it's easy to to sit and think of the doom and gloom of things that are happening. And actually, this is something really Sylvia Earl has a beautiful mindset on it. You know, it's unfortunate we're we're seeing a lot of dying ecosystems around the world and some things that are recovering and we're going through these phases. But we're as a, as humanity, we're in the most advanced state that we've ever been in terms of technology, and we really have all the resources to to make very adaptive solutions. And I think we can do it. It's just getting the right people together and working on them together is critical. You know, for goodness sakes, we're taking samples and data from Mars, like literally physical samples. I think we it's about time we make clean energy out of our own oceans. It's time that we do large-scale restorations, if we're able to solve these very complex outer space issues, you know, it's just focusing 
that time, energy, and technology and people on a specific cause. So I think I think where we can get there, it's just kind of building the team to do it. Exactly, exactly. I couldn't have said it any better. That's so true. The other kind of mention I, I would say that makes us a little unique is we also involve technology as a way to connect and engage people. And so we take a 3D scan. Again, we can take 3D scan any image or person or logo and make them into a reef. But we also take that digital asset and we are able to make virtual and augmented realities. And so we really value this ability to allow people to dive from their computer. Or if you have an Oculus, it's a little more an immersive experience and provide an educational ability where we can create, we created these lesson programs to teach about coral restoration, ocean conservation, but we're really hoping to expand that and also, you know, make it where people can dive. Each one of our sites has a, a virtual replica, so you can enjoy it from anywhere and really value using technology for good. And we've also done a few different NFT projects that we're, we're still sorting out, but that kind of brings another artistic value creating direct impact. So we create NFTs that have a direct impact. Every single one either outplants a coral, creates its own reef, or, you know, really engages people as a whole with our projects. So that's something that's unique that, you know, most people wouldn't know at the surface in terms of what we do with, with VR and AR and, and scanning. And we really hope to expand that more. Oh, I love that. And that is something that obviously, you know, getting with the times and everything. And I think that is so cool to be able to like dive in this like sites without actually diving in those sites. So we're looking at our little eco footprint with that as well. So if you can't get there, you can still get there, which I love. So hopefully in time, I will be diving some of those, whether it is from right here where I am or actually going to them, which would be super cool. Shall we? what has been one of your most important decisions that you have made around Mama Earth? That's a tough one. I, I mean, I would say really just, just following the path that I'm on now. I think you know, one thing I always get as a marine biologist, so many people come to me, oh, I used to want to be a marine biologist, but either they don't get paid enough or oh, it's a lot of school. And so I, I think the most important decision I've made is really everybody has different values and goals, right. In life and, you know, in terms of families and, you know, what those needs are. And I think going down kind of the scientific path, but, you know, sometimes isn't the, the easiest decision to make. And I think the value that we've created is also developing this, these sustainable business models within the work. So it really expands what we're able to do. And I think in the context of like working in the marine environment, we're really developing what we now call as the blue economy. It's way more expansive than it ever has been. You know, it's not just people doing oceanography or focusing on biology of this particular species. So there's so much opportunity now more than ever before to do a variety of different careers within the ocean that that can help. But I mean, also the environment, I would say that that was probably, you know, one of the best decisions that I made that it's tough. It, it is a long journey. But I think we're we're getting so much more opportunities now that, that can engage way more people where you know now we have jobs that can actually create impact and help the environment, but you know, also you can have a livelihood. And that's the unfortunate thing I see with a lot of environmental projects. You know, a lot of people don't get paid very much to protect our world. And so now we're there's really kind of creative ways that have enabled that. I mean, just imagine if we had some of the most brilliant minds working on protecting our ecosystems. So I think I think those times are changing and it's here and I I, I really want to encourage you know other people to to follow also their passion. I'm a, I'm a big advocate of pursuing what you love in life and and things will will sort out if you put your heart in it. 
And I, I think it's just people are drawn to you and, and opportunities are too when when you really are investing all that time in something that you really care about. Exactly. Oh, I love that. And yeah, I mean, for me as well, one of the quotes that I live by is that you absolutely need to love what you do and do what you love. Like you can't, you can't do anything else if that's what your passion is. And, you know, like if you're worried about money, if you're worried about making an impact, you know, as long as you keep on doing what it is that you love, that will have an impact, you know, just, just keep on going. And, you know, it might not happen overnight, but, you know, with time, things, things will come. Greatness will come. (laughs) So before we head into our final five, I just want to take a moment, pause it there and just like say thank you for tuning in wherever it is that you're listening to this episode. Just want to give you guys a big shout out. Obviously, the podcast is made with a lot of love, a lot of energy that goes in here. And without the support of you guys, it honestly cannot be possible to actually do this. So this is a shout out to you. Just thank you for listening and keep on listening. And if you guys have any ideas in the future, that stuff that you want to hear more of, stuff you want to hear less of, please let me know. Send a message, Instagram, hello at Mama Earth Talk is the the email as well. Hello at mamaearthtalk.com or on Instagram, which is just Mama Earth Talk, which is the podcast Instagram as well. So send those things through. If there's a specific guest that you're like, oh my word, Mariska, you need to know about this person. They are doing phenomenal work in this field and their story needs to be shared. So let me know. We'd love to hear from you. And let's dig right back into the final five. The first one is, what is one social media account or publication that you follow? I would say uh, one of them is called Feel the Love. And I think it, it you know, really just talks about being present and, and also loving to people and giving into things in life. And what is your hope for Mama Earth going forward? I would say my hope is that, again, we can kind of create these collaborative spaces to address these solutions together. And I think we're, we're, we're right there. It's just getting the right team together. So my hope would be that we can really live synergistically with the environment and kind of like the leave no trace and designing things that can help both work for the benefit of the environment while being able to serve humanity. And what advice can you give our crazy birds this week to actually help out Mama Earth? I would say so this week, maybe let's, let's try to be conservative, right? We're, we're going into, I mean, at least here in the States, Thanksgiving at the moment. And so I think it, it gives a great perspective of being thankful and, and just gratitude. So I'd say for everybody, just take, take moments of gratitude and also take moments to be immersed in nature and go out in your local environment and take care of it, whether you just do a little cleanup or if you're at home, you try to be a little more conservative um, in terms of water or, you know, being resourceful. I love that. And that is definitely so, so important. And what is one sustainability fact that you like to use in a room with people not yet on a sustainable journey? 
That's a tough one. You know, one thing I always like to say is like, you can't take it with you, right? Uh, that's that's like kind of a simple thing. And I think if you look at your your values in life, it's important to look at like what's kind of immediately impactful. So sometimes we we tend to live in this state of abundance with things and resources. We use them like there's no end. And so from a sustainability perspective, you know, I, I think it's just taking what you need, not just what you want. And so I, I think that's something I always try to ring true you know, to people and trying to get people to be as conservative as they can, because we don't need everything that we we certainly use. Exactly. And even the stuff that we actually do have, how many of the people that we know, or even that's listening to this podcast episode has got like a fridge full of food, half of it is not going to be eaten. So it's things like that, that, you know, just like kind of, you know, be a little bit more mindful and you know, see, see if you, if you really do need all of that stuff. And if you, if you actually do have the resources, you know, actually use it or make sure someone else does. And where can people find you? So they can find me um, either via email, Shelby at OceanRescueAlliance.org. I also have social medias for both the organization, which is Ocean Rescue Alliance. And then we also have an account for a thousand mermaids. And my personal account is Shelby Thomas two one. So they can reach me on on social, on, on via email. Um, my phone's also on our website. So feel free to reach out if you have any questions, want to get engaged or, you know, find out how to bring local projects. If you want a reef in your area and think you have some, some ideas, um, also reach out to us. You know, I'm really, really love uh, working with, with people from all different backgrounds and doing a diversity of projects as well. I love that. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us and teaching us a little bit more about corals and the importance that they have. And yeah, looking forward to following all of these projects and continuing seeing these mermaids pop up. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's a wrap. Huge thank you for our amazing guest for being on the podcast and for sharing their journey with us. You can find the show notes of this episode on the MamaEarthTalk.com's website. The biggest thank you goes out to all of you crazy birds for listening to the podcast. If you have not already listened to all of the episodes, you can go back to a few of them. You will absolutely love them. I really enjoyed recording every single one of them. And I really hope that you enjoy listening to them. There's over a hundred episodes. So if you feel a little bit lost on which one to listen to next, maybe select one of the episodes with guests that you might want to know more of and start from there. If you enjoy the episodes, why not tell a friend about the podcast and maybe share an episode with them? Let them know that we are here and we are waiting for them with open arms And they are all very welcome to join the crazy birds globally. If you have a question for me, please send them over. The best way to get in contact with me would probably be a DM on Instagram. You can either send it to my personal, which is at Zero Waste Mariska, or the podcast, which is at Mama Earth Talk. Or send me an email at hello at mamaearthtalk.com. If there's a particular guest or topic that you would like to hear on the podcast, let me know. I love to hear from all you crazy birds. 
New episodes are uploaded every second Monday, so make sure to subscribe that you do not miss a thing. Mama Earth has a voice, and it's us crazy birds.